Hi, welcome to our podcast episode. I'm Charlene. I'm Dana. I'm Yavya. I'm Erica. Today's topic of discussion is about kitsch art and how the art that surrounds this movement already has a specific aura, but this aura can be changed depending on the artist, context, artist's way of making, materiality, and mass production. Specifically, we'll be talking about Andy Warhol and how his art is a representation of kitsch art. Then we will look at another artist, Jeff Koons, and his collaboration with Louis Vuitton and how mass production and mechanical production can transform the aura of the work within this example. To start off, we should probably define some key terms to orient ourselves in the discussion. So what exactly is kitsch? According to Oxford English Dictionary of Art, kitsch art is an art form considered to be in poor taste because of the excessive garishness and sentimentality. But it is also an art or object that is visually appealing and highly accessible to the public using popular cultural icons. Well, according to uh, Clement Greenberg, uh, kitsch is popular commercial art and literature, which was born as a product of the Industrial Revolution, which basically urbanized the masses um, and established universal literacy. So there was a demand for a new culture for people's consumption, and kitsch provided the space to basically draw on science and industry. Relating to that, the concept of high and low art can be tracked back to the 18th century's ideas about fine art and crap. People place greater values in high art and believe that high art is an aesthetic contemplation and holds aesthetic values above function. Yeah, so when critics first began to draw a divisive line between art and that was created as a means of aesthetic expressions or fine art and art that was utilitarian in nature or craft, Art forms like painting, sculpture, and music were held to a higher regard and became the accepted forms of art to be appreciated by those with high taste. Similarly, anything that was available to the masses and easily comprehensible by all was regarded as a form of low art. To understand these concepts in further depth, we would like to begin our first segment, which is exploring works of Andy Warhol. Artists like Andy Warhol, who have implemented kish elements in their works, are making art more inclusive and relatable. The more accessible works of art are, the more people are able to participate in the conversations of art and demonstrate our cultural through art. This demonstrates how kish art is challenging the idea of the aura and how the aura has changed since its original definition. Aura is inseparable from changing and exchanging as demonstrated in the way Andy Warhol makes art. The original he works from is usually a photograph or a newspaper clipping that is a reproduction itself. For example, Campbell's soup cans were painted by projecting the image of a soup can onto his blank canvas, then traced the outline and details, then carefully painted using old fashioned brushes and paint. For consistency of his 32 canvases, he used a hand stamp for decorative elements of the tomato can. Warhol emphasizes on the copy without the original, which destroys the original definition of the aura, where a photograph of the tomato can he works from is still a copy or reproduction through mechanical reproduction techniques, but it introduces a way of making art as a representation of the aura. In this sense, the aura refers to the authority held by the uniqueness and the originality of the way ideas are converged and art is produced. 
Andy Warhol's film Empire is also a great example to talk about regarding the destruction of the aura. The black and white silent art film consists of an eight hours and five minutes long slow footage of an unchanging view of the Empire State Building. The film destroys what Benjamin defines the aura of an object, not simply because film is a medium that is based on reproduction, but also due to the characteristics within the work, such as the projection speed and the way it was shot on a one straight shot for the duration of eight hours. So I think extending this conversation to understand Walter Benjamin's views on aura and reproduction can help us to see how kitsch plays a role in Warhol's work and even his process. So uh, in Benjamin's text, um, The Work of Art in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction, he talks about the cult value and the exhibition value of artworks and how they play factors in shaping aura. Just to explain that a little bit, the cult value is the social and cultural characteristics that are attached to an art piece by its audience. So he goes on to explain how these cult values are attached by the context of um, a given art piece, which is the time it was created, the style of the piece, the people involved, etc. So this cult value also acted like the shock, acted as the shock value of an art piece um, that was created in society. So it was the ability of an art piece to change perceptions of people towards something. And it used to be the first thing that people saw in art, which was its magic or, is, or its aura, essentially, rather than its exhibition value, which is um, essentially what uh, is created by the atmosphere of the space that makes the audience conscious of something's artistic function. So in my interpretation of his text, um, mechanical reproduction then interferes with these values of art due to the changing variables, uh, contexts, and medium as seen in Warhol's work that is modifying the aura and its perception by a given audience. So this reproduction alters the uniqueness of objects and also alters the perception of masses in regards to their reality. So Warhol's practice was different for his time, where he focused more towards the ideation and concept behind his work rather than realism in it. So his style of using bright colors and a combination of writing with images shocked as well as intrigued people at the time um, and also led to changing the style of art for the years that followed him. There was also an aspect of surrealism present in pop art and in his work because of these vibrant colors that created an unreal experience for the viewer, which was also sometimes confusing. So in this context, the aura of these works um, that are replicated copies of the original images, such as the famous um, Marilyn Monroe uh, image, have changed with time and with context. So Warhol's silk screens of uh, Monroe post her death had a different reaction than that of just her pictures being circulated around. So he has continued to examine this notion of aura and reproduction in his work. And by the continuous repetition um, of his work as seen in the media, the question arises that have they just become nothing more than an image and can its aura just completely disappear? 
Um, so I personally think there's a lot of ambiguity in the subject, which is also based on people's personal receptions of the work. But I think I would like to end this conversation on Warhol um, with a quote where he says, a company recently was interested in buying my order. I never figured out what they wanted, but they were willing to pay a lot for it. I think aura is something that only someone else can see and only so much of it as they want to. Aura must be until you open your mouth. Arguably, Andy Warhol paved the way for Jeff Koons, and it appears as if Koons has been inspired by the example of Warhol to a degree in his work. To add on what Shirley said, I think Warhol really showed a way of transforming everyday objects and commercial images into art, thereby blurring the boundary between high art and low culture. I think this incorporation of pop cultural images and everyday objects influenced Jeff Koons a lot in creating the aura of his kish art in many ways. Briefly introducing Jeff Koons, he is considered to be the king of kish by the public. He is well known for creating controversial works that include kish elements such as cheap everyday objects, sexual iconographies, popular cultural icons, and commercial objects. Despite lots of controversies, his work Balloon Dog in Orange is one of the most expensive works around the world, sold at $58.4 million at auction. Obviously, this shows how much attention and popularity that he got from the public. I think the reason Balloon Dog Orange gained so much popularity is because of its aura, specifically the uniqueness of the balloon form and its glossy surface. In series of Balloon Dog, contorts the recognizable form of balloons into the shape of man's best friend, a dog. So many balloons are the objects that we have commonly seen and bought during our childhood. Embodying these familiar subjects into art evokes emotional reactions and further nostalgia of our childhood memory. Offering instant emotional gratification without deeper meanings is mostly the part where this work is considered to be kish art. We can feel this nostalgia more through a smaller version of balloon dogs, which has a similar scale to the actual balloons. As well as the balloon form, the glossy surface is very evocative. Made with polished stainless steel, the surface of the work looks really glossy and its form seems weightless, making viewers feel like the work is filled with air like a balloon. Using this polished material really helps mimic the form of a balloon, which adds a sense of playfulness, resonates with viewers. On the other hand, the huge scale of the work, Balloon Dog Orange, makes viewers feel radically different emotion. Specifically, the enormous 10-foot scale makes the work less familiar and undeniably commercial. Looking at this exaggerated scale, people tend to interpret the form in different ways. I believe this contrast between the exaggerated scale and sentimental dog imagery is what makes this work unique. It provides the binary emotion to viewers in that time and space, thereby creating the aura of the work. However, in the perspective of Benjamin, in the work of art in the age of mechanical reproduction, it is not always true that Jeff Kuhn's balloon dog has an aura. I initially thought that Kuhn had made this work of work, made this series of work by himself, but in reality, it wasn't. Basically, he hired the company Envision Incorporation to scan an actual balloon dog and then handle back to a digital cat model. Consequently, balloon dog has reproduced several times, almost 2,300 times through 3D modeling. I was also able to download a cat model someone had created of Kun's work for free and import it into my file to create my own digital renderings. 
This means that anyone can easily access the most expensive work in a digital version and easily reproduce its form. From the point of view of Benjamin, the reproduction of the original work misses its aura since it lacks the original touch of the artist and personality embedded in the original work. In other words, this works, which anyone can easily mimic this form and run the reproduction, destroys the aura of the original work. And that says a series of balloon dog misses the aura of the original since it's done through scanning and reproduction of the original sculptural model. Considering that, it raises questions such as, how can we value an object at $20,000 knowing that it is but one of an addition of 2,300? In the logic of Benjamin, then we have to value the original sculpture at a higher price than the replicated ones. As the concept of aura is connected to the idea of authenticity, Kuhn's work raises the question about the role of authenticity. Considering Kuhn does not engage in the entire process of creating the work, can we view Balling Dog as his artwork or not? This issue can be viewed differently by distinct conceptual art theories, but the absence of the artist in the entire production process is still arguable. Other than the Balling Dog series, Jefferson had lots of issues in terms of authenticity. Many of his works have raised copyright infringement issues since it almost exactly followed the form of the other artist's work. The most well-known work for that is Jeff Kuhn's Fat Dehiver sculpture. Fat Dehiver sculpture shows a woman lying on her back in the snow with her eyes open, and beside her there is a pig sniffing at her head and a penguin. In this work, without a penguin one, he exactly copied photographer Frank Davidovici's photo for a French clothing manufacturer's ad campaign. As a result, he was sued by Davidovici and had to pay damages for the unauthorized imitation. The judges claimed that this work cannot be considered as appropriation since the sculpture had incorporated the original elements of the plagiarized work to such an extent that it is a partial reproduction of Davidovici photography. In other words, Jeff Kuhn's Fedjiever sculpture cannot be considered as a unique singular object, so it almost uh, reproduce the other artist's work, which caused a copyright issue. This again relates to the Benjamin statement that reproduction of the original work in a different format misses the aura of the original due to the absence of the personality of the original work in that time and space. As Erica previously touched upon, Jeff Koons is notorious for creating controversial work in the contemporary art world. The provocative nature of his work is what makes him one of today's most popular artists. Let's take a look at arguably one of Kuhn's most controversial and head-turning pieces. In April of 2017, Kuhn's launched Masters, which was a 51-piece collection of a high-definition reproduction of some of the most famous paintings in art history. This was a collaboration with French fashion powerhouse Louis Vuitton, where Kuhn's used the iconic work of traditional artists such as da Vinci, Titian, Rubens, Fragonard, and Van Gogh on accessories like bags and scarves, using the name of each master in bold reflective metal type embossed onto the bag. Specifically, Kuhn's used the Tiger Hunt by Rubens, the Gimblet by Fragonard, Wheatfield with Cypresses by Van Gogh, Mars, Venus, and Cupid by Titian, and La Gioconda by Da Vinci. This collaboration was actually inspired by Kuhn's Gazing Ball series, which was a group of work that featured metallic blue balls placed over various reproductions of classical masterpieces. While people had mixed opinions about it, Louis Vuitton thought it was particularly intriguing. The Masters collection depicts hand-painted imagery from the Gazing Ball series. 
Inside the bags, there are small portraits and information on the original artist. An inflatable rabbit tag dangles from each bag, a recognizable feature in most of Kunz's work. Additionally, what's interesting is that the Louis Vuitton monograms were also reworded for the first time in history to hold the initials of Jeff Kunz. Kunz has demonstrated the ability to transform kitsch ephemera, the balloon animals coming to mind in particular, and oil paintings into dialogue about social discourse. The Masters is about wearable contemporary art that is not confined to a wall or a gallery space. Consistently on the list of one of the most expensive living artists, Jeff Koons and his work wasn't exactly accessible to the everyday art collector or even to the general public. Several of his pieces were auctioned at record prices of $58.4 million. But guess what? You can now buy a Koons and Louis Vuitton back for only $4,000. Similar to what Dana was saying about Annie Warhol wanting to make art inclusive and relatable to the general public through his work, Koons stated himself that his main intention with this line of bags was to make art more accessible to the public. Because of this, we can draw some clear connections between the two artists and the ways that they make art through the lens of kitsch. So the question is, how does the aura of high art change when iconic pieces like the Mona Lisa and Water Lilies are reproduced on expensive tote bags, keychains, and wallets? In the work of art in the age of mechanical reproduction, Walter Benjamin claims that the aura has appeared into the modern age because art has become reproducible. Similar to how a work of classic literature can be brought back cheaply in paperback or a painting brought back as a poster, a work of art in a gallery space cannot be reproduced and still maintain its original aura. The idea of aura is connected to the question of authenticity. Authenticity can never be re reproduced. What makes this collection kitsch is that at a first glance, these handbags literally look like they belong in a museum gift shop as souvenir bags. Kuhn states that he wants to eradicate the elitism of the art world. On one hand, Vuitton is exploiting art for its own gain, and on the other, the artist, Jeff Koons, is selling out. At the center of it all, consumers are being introduced to high art as if it's disposable. In a sense, Koons transforms the aura of high Renaissance art into streetwear with his collection. However, this is actually quite ironic because the average person is still unable to afford a $4,000 bag. Additionally, these bags were on sale on many e-commerce websites with prices dropping to as low as $560 a bag. This decreases the aura of the original master's work and reduces its grandiosity to a reproducible piece of fashion, an accessory of first celebrities to purchase and add to their closet collection of cool handbags. I think it's pretty safe to say that most of us are used to seeing the work of old masters in museum or gallery space, confined to the white cube and hung on the wall or displayed on a pedestal. The aura that this produces is one of higher value. We are careful when approaching these pieces in person and take the time to admire its beauty and the skill of the old masters when they are placed in a museum space. There's a holy quality or aura to the works, and they are often held to the highest regard. But the aura of the work changes and perhaps even disappears as a whole when it's being reproduced over and over, especially to make it more accessible to the public. Even to that extent, the question of accessibility is an arguable one. While Kunz is bringing high art to the streets and out of the museum space, this high art now becomes a form of low art. Reproducing the image of Mona Lisa and other iconic imagery makes it lose its value, especially when placed on mundane objects such as the duffel bag and a wallet. The aura now changes to one that is for the general public to purchase and commodify. Using Benjamin's philosophy here, even the original work is depreciated because it is no longer unique. These works of art can also lose their authority, and in a way, the public and consumers contribute to this loss of aura by trying to commodify and reproduce works of art onto fashion accessories to make them more attainable. Therefore, it is possible to detect a painting's aura, 
but the perception of the work itself changes within each time it is being reproduced as seen through the master's collection. There's a general consensus that people seem not to appreciate kitsch art in comparison to other art forms and movements. In fact, it's almost become a trend to dislike kitsch in modern culture. Kitsch is an aesthetic device, but more so than any other form of art, it considers how intersectional our culture has become and continues to become. Speaking of Andy Warhol, he is the leading figure in the visual art movement of pop art and a kitsch art representative. However, his art vividly demonstrates that he is both avant-garde and highly commercially sensible. This also raises the question of how can an artist balance out avant-garde ideas and commercial aspects in their works of art? What's interesting about Coons is that while others have dubbed his work as kitsch, critics have claimed that Coons is a businessman that is not actually an artist, but instead the epitome of all that is wrong and fraudulent with modern art cultures. Is Jeff Koons' work kitsch, or is it about the idea of kitsch? Either way, whether you love him or hate him, that doesn't really matter because we know his name and we definitely know his work. The obscurity of his work is what makes it vanguard. To add on, I think Jeff can really show how um, even everyday objects and cultural images that are often regarded in a bad taste can be transformed into interesting artwork. Especially his work Balloon Dog series is a good example of kitsch art, where simple, everyday images can become a highly valued art. Like the Balloon Duck series, many of his works contributed to blurring the boundary between high art and popular low culture, which corresponds to Neo Vanguard idea of blurring the existing cultural system and boundaries. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope we gave you some food for thought on the aura of kitsch art within the Neo Vanguards.